today. Uh, good morning and good to be with you. If you're visiting, really glad that you're here. Um, we are in Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 3 today. And so if you have a Bible, that's where we'll be. Here's, here's a question to get us started today. I'm going to ask, and you just answer in your head. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to call on anyone. So if like you're visiting and you get anxiety about that, just breathe. It's going to be fine. I'm not going to call on anyone. Uh, here's, here's the question. What is God like? When you think of God, what are some of the things that, that come to mind? What are some of the things that maybe help you think about what God is like? So like, I don't know if you think, well, God is, is like the, the sun because he's probably he's like a mountain because he's so strong or he's like a father because he's loving. Like whatever it is, uh, how is it that you think of God? That is the primer for us today in the scripture we're looking at because the, the way that you think about God and the way that you imagine him to be and the way that he actually is, those things might not match. Like the way that God reveals himself to be through his word, those might be different things. You might think some of the wrong things about God. You might think some of the right things about God, but not all of the right things, and because you don't have the full picture of who God is, you get kind of a skewed understanding of him. Uh, in the scripture we're looking at today, God meets Moses in a burning bush, and uh, he reveals a lot about himself through this conversation, through everything that we're gonna read today. Um, two, two big understandings about God we get in the scripture, and we get throughout the whole Bible, really, about who God is, uh, that are both very important, and both very important to hold these things together, right? And those two big ideas or understandings about God is that he is both transcendent and imminent. Transcendent, meaning God is, is over and above and beyond us, right? He is, he's eternal, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, uh, he's the creator of everything, the universe is held together by the word of his power, like he's just, he's so far above and beyond us, we can't fully kind of comprehend or even understand him, and yet, at the same time, God is imminent, meaning God is present in our lives, and he invites us to know him personally. Uh, he, he invites us to have really a personal relationship with him, and in that relationship, we receive these things from God. We receive his, his love and his grace and his wisdom and his patience, just like you, you would from, from a friend. You receive these things in this relationship with God. Uh, he's both of those things, and it's kind of hard to hold both of those things together. Like, it doesn't make a ton of sense that both of those things exist in one thing. That would be like having the sun in your backyard, right? Like it's, it's this transcendent thing that's over and above us, and yet it's also that close, and it doesn't feel right. Uh, he's, he is both of these things. He's so high above us, we could never hope to climb up and reach him on our own, and yet at the same time, he comes down to us. He approaches us and invites us to have this relationship with him because he loves us. Uh, All-powerful and personally relational. Um, a good way to get a skewed view of who God is, if you're looking for a good way to do that, um, is to uh, emphasize one of those qualities and sort of diminish the other. So you think of God mainly in the ways that he's transcendent, but not in the ways that he's imminent. And if you think of God that way, um, God, God is, uh, he's the ruler of the universe. He is over everything, 
all things are in his hands, and yet at the same time, he feels distant and indifferent and sort of cold, and so like, you, you sort of wonder, do I even have the right to approach him or be near him? And, and there's, there's a sort of um, uh, caution in, your, in, in the ways that you relate to God, if you think of him mainly in the ways that he's transcendent, not in the ways that he's imminent. If you think of him mainly in the ways that he's imminent and not in the ways that he's transcendent, then God loves you a lot, right? He's, he's there for you. He's there with you. You know him. Uh, you know that you can always approach him, and yet, because you don't really think of the ways that he's transcendent, um, he's not like this, this king for you to submit yourself to. He's more like, he's more like a buddy who helps you out. <laughs> You know, and, and if you really don't think of him in the ways that he's transcendent, you don't really think that he has power in your life and in the world, and so a lot more of it is resting on you, and, and there's a lot less trust for what, what he is able to do or what he wants to do. Uh, so anyways, that's how you can get it wrong. God is both transcendent and imminent, and we're gonna see both of those things together. See, see maybe if you fall into one of those ways of thinking about him more than the other, see if the scripture that we read today helps to clear that up for you. Uh, let's start getting into it. Exodus 3, starting in verse one, says this. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. God is presenting himself here. He's representing himself as this, this burning bush that is on fire, and yet it's not consumed by the flame. And we'll talk a little bit at the end about what we could possibly learn from that, what God might be trying to teach through that. This is a great passage for getting to know God, and even seeing how the process of getting to know God works um, people have encounters with God in, in all kinds of ways. If you just kind of listen to anyone who is uh, walking with God and you hear their story and you hear how they started their relationship with God, just kind of all over the board, even for Moses, the thing that sort of precipitates this encounter with God, he, he was living in the uh, elite of Egyptian society and then he has this really humbling experience. We looked at that last week that brings him out now into the wilderness. Uh, some people, their encounter with God is because of a similar sort of humbling, rock-bottom experience in their lives. Um, I mean, that was, but that's like 40 years ago at this point for Moses. The day that Moses meets, has this encounter with God, it's just like a regular work day for him. And like some of you, like your story is much more mundane. You're just going through a regular day, just a, your regular life, and then suddenly God does something to, to catch your attention right? He sends someone into your life, or you see something, just something sparks the curiosity in you to explore who God is, and it was in that way that you encountered and got to know God. Um, some people, some of you grew up in a Christian home and Christian family, you went to church, and it was kind of through those things that you had your encounter with God, through your parents, kids ministry, student ministry, whatever it was, 
I hope the kids in our church, I hope that's the way that, not the rock bottom, but like that's the way that they encounter God. Uh, no matter how it happens, one thing is always true for every person who has an encounter with God and begins a personal relationship with him, is that you do not approach God first. He always extends himself to you first. God always goes first. If you look at it and you see, he was always the one reaching out to you first before you even thought to explore who he is, which is amazing, but it's also very necessary if you think about it. This, this is a problem for people who think of God mainly in the ways that he's imminent and not in the ways that he's transcendent. They think of God as like kind of just like a nice guy, He's like maybe like a nice guy wearing a free hugs t-shirt and just kind of walking down the street and seeing like who would, who's like, who'd come give me a hug. And, uh, or like a really nice neighbor who like is just the nicest neighbor in the world. You know, you could always go to their door and knock and they're, they're gonna be willing to help you out. Um, that fails to take into account any of God's transcendence. The more important a person is, the harder it is to approach them. Like, you know that, right? So like if you were at a speech that President Biden was giving, like you can't just go up there and like give him a hug, you know, like you'd get, you'd get tackled, you can't do that. I don't know if you know that, but you can't do that. Uh, I don't, th like if you, you can't go up to the White House, I don't think you're allowed. You can't like knock on the door. It's just not allowed. They won't let you do it. Um, originally, like God, that's, like God is more important than any president. He's more important than any world leader. He's more majestic, he's more glorious. Uh, originally, God is in such a high place, you could never hope to reach him on your own. Just, just look at the ways that Moses has to approach God. Um, Moses, uh, God calls out to Moses, he shows up where Moses is, he calls out to God, uh, to Moses first, and then he says, don't come near. Take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground, and Moses is afraid to look at God. I love the way God speaks about himself in Isaiah 57. You get such the, um, the tension, but also the truth that God is transcendent and imminent. It says this, for thus is the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. That's God's transcendence. And also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive, the name of the church, revive, uh, to revive the heart of the contrite. That's where we got it. It's in the Bible. <laughs> God, God dwells in the, in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a lowly and contrite spirit. God is imminent. He wants personal relationship with people like you and me. That's amazing. You know, the, you know where we get the word imminent from? We get it from Emmanuel. One of the names given to Jesus, which means God with us. Jesus is the ultimate and most significant way that God extends himself to us. It's through Jesus that God makes a way for us to be reconciled to him. God always extends himself to us first before we extend ourselves to him. And you know what that does is it makes it safe for you to approach God. Like what a bonkers, crazy thing it would be if you like, can you just imagine like you said to someone like, hey, come over here. 
and they come over and you're like, no, 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 go away. What do you think you're doing? Like, that doesn't happen. It's like, the person who goes first and extends themselves first, that's the person who's risking being rejected. People reject God every single day. God extends himself first. Because he extends himself first and invites you, you know that it's safe to approach him. He wants to give you this opportunity to know him. God extends himself first. Another thing that's true for every person who has established this personal relationship with God, uh, another, another uh, factor in it, it's always, it's always the same in every person who's uh, established this relationship with God is it requires something of you, something called repentance. And we sort of get a picture of it here in Moses approaching the bush where God stops him and he says, hey, take off your shoes, the place that you're standing is holy ground. Um, Moses has to take off his shoes, so the shoes that have been with him and all the places that he's walked and all the, the, the dirt and the mud and, and everything that he's sort of tracked with him, he needs to take those things off before he's actually able to get close to God. Uh, you can't bring the mud and the dirt of your old self and your old mindset and your old ways of living and looking at the world when you establish a, a relationship with God. Because when you establish that relationship, God is going to sh- show you a new way. You have to leave some things behind. You have to let some things go before you can move forward with him. And if that's something that you want to do or you're exploring making that decision, if you want to know God, is that something that you're willing to do as part of it? Are you willing to let some things go? Are you willing to let some things change, even some pretty significant things? so that you can see the new way forward that God is showing you. There's a good reason to do that. There's a good reason to make that decision, to make the decision to repent and allow God to make significant changes in you and in your life because he's worth it. God is worth more than anything you could ever give up for him. Look at this, back in Exodus 3, verse 7. Then the Lord said, Uh, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people of Egypt, uh, brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. This is where we get to see God's heart. This is where we get to see what it is that God actually desires for his people. And this is another thing where the way that some people think about God and the way that God reveals himself through his words don't match sometimes. Um, people, some people have this idea about God where he's kind of like a divine narcissist. 
and like he wants you to live this kind of really difficult life where you make these gestures to prove yourself to him. Uh, proving yourself to him in the things that you'll give up and the things that you're willing to do and, and uh, you know, get, giving money and time and making sacrifices and not living or doing certain things um, just so you prove yourself and so he, he'll give you his stamp of approval once you've, you've proven yourself enough. Uh, if you look at what God actually says, you look at the offer that he's making in his word, God is like the giving tree. You know that book, The Giving Tree? It's so sad. Like, God is the giving, he gives so much more than anything he could ever ask from you. Like, those scales are never gonna balance. What God gives you is always going to infinitely outweigh anything that you might ever give to him, besides the fact that everything is his anyways. Like, he made you, he gave you your life. The universe is his creation, You can't give something to him that wasn't his to begin with. But you look at him and you look at his heart here, you look at what he desires for his people, like he's, he wants the best for them. He's not blind to injustice and he's not blind to their suffering. He's not indifferent about it. Part of extending himself towards his people Look at what he says here. He's come down to deliver them out of their sufferings and into a good land. What God is doing here, what he does through the Exodus story is a model for what he eventually does in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It's the same thing. He sees us in our affliction, in our suffering, and he hears the cries of the people who are living in this broken world and experiencing just how broken it can truly be, and he comes down to deliver his people from that. He doesn't want us to live like that. He doesn't want us to be stuck in this. He hears the cry of every person suffering unimaginable loss, who, who, wants, who wants the things that they've lost to be restored, who wants some sort of security that that it's not just all in vain, it's all gonna be empty forever. Every person, the cry of every person who's living in fear of violence, who just wants peace, he hears that. The cry of every person living with crippling depression and loneliness, who just wants to feel a little bit again the spark of hope and joy. The cry of every person carrying around the weight of their own regrets and their own shame for the things that they've done, who, who wish they could undo the past and make things right and, and rid themselves of that weight. Jesus sees all of that. He sees us, he sees sinful people living in this broken world And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus comes down to deliver us from that, to deliver us from our sin, to deliver us from suffering so that he can give us peace and hope and joy so that he can, by his work on the cross, bury our sin forever so that we can be forgiven and set free. We don't need freedom from Egypt. This is, this is a model and a picture of the freedom that Jesus gives. We don't need freedom from Egypt. We need freedom from our own sin that we can't escape. 
Romans 6, verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Like, each one of us, we are the person who says, you know, I could stop any time. I could stop any time I want, and they, they never stop. You can't stop. Every time you sin, you're, you're presenting yourself as, as a slave to that sinful desire. None of us can break that in ourselves. We can't get over the, the desire to be selfish and put ourselves before others, put ourselves before God and his will and what he desires. Uh, we, we can't stop ourselves from the idolatry that's running rampant in our hearts where it makes us worship money or sex or power or comfort or whatever it is, making that thing into our God, dedicating our lives to that, trying to get from that thing the, 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 um, the security and the hope and the satisfaction that we desire deep in our souls. We can't free ourselves from that, but Jesus can. When you understand Jesus' love for you, when you understand that Jesus on the cross stood in your place and paid the debt that you owe for your sin so that you can be forgiven and you can be free, that changes your heart. It, it's, it's understanding his love for you and his grace for you. That's what changes your heart. That's what changes from your heart the things that like the way that you want to live, the things that you want to live for. Because now suddenly you're so impacted by the love of Jesus for you, you want to live in a way that makes him happy, that pleases him and glorifies him and brings honor to his name because he, he loves you and forgives you freely. He gives you so much. You're willing to live your life now for him because in him you've, you've received so much more than anything you've ever got for yourself when you were living the way that you wanted to. Good news of the gospel, Jesus' forgiveness, his love, his grace, those are free gifts. Those are not things that we can earn. He just gives them to us. And that's something that we get like suspicious about. Like whenever we see the words free, we get suspicious, and rightly so. I was talking to some guys after service last week about uh, timeshares, and like, you know the timeshare offer? It's like, hey, free thing, and all you have to do is listen to like this 15-minute thing, and like you go and you get the free thing, and they do their 15 minutes, and they're like, so do you want to buy a timeshare? And you're like, no, I just wanted the free thing. And then they get mad at you, and if you're like uh, afraid of confrontation, you buy it, and then you're stuck forever, and it's terrible. Um, that's like a bait and switch. I don't want, I don't want to ever present the gospel in the way that it feels like a bait and switch. You know, that's why I'm trying to be clear about things like repentance and clear about the significant ways that Jesus is going to change you and change your life. It's not, it, it's significant change, but it is good change. It's, it's an incredible gain. Jesus is worth it. He's worth trusting. He's worth putting your faith in. He's worth following. But it's definitely, just be clear about it, it's definitely not some like pie in the sky, you get all these great things from Jesus and your life doesn't change at all. You can just go do whatever you want, you get all these great things from God, but you don't really need to bother with him all that much. Um, it, 
you can't get the things that Jesus offers without getting Jesus himself. But that's a good thing. Look at this, verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is like a great way to ask for someone's name without really asking for it, right? Um, like, it's not that I want to know your name, God, but like, what if, what if they want to know? What should I say? It kind of feels like when you forget someone's name and you don't want them to know that you forgot their name, and so you're like, hey, like, how do you spell your name? And uh, it's like, I was curious about that, <laughs> like J-O-H-N, and uh, you know, <laughs> it works better for some names than others, <laughs> but uh, you know, sometimes you get caught. Um, hugely, hugely important piece of scripture here. Um, God is revealing so much about himself here. And, and one of the things that's so significant about this, we can't miss it, uh, we don't get to define God. God defines God. We have to be right about this. This is like, there's like a posture in, in even how you're, you're thinking about God or, or trying to approach him. We don't get to define God. God gets to define God. Sometimes you hear people saying things like, I could never believe in a God who would blank, you know, who would say this or do that. I could never believe in that kind of God. Or, or I really think God uh, should be like this or like that or, or whatever it is. The problem is when you put yourself in that position where you are, you're giving yourself the power to define who God is and determine what he's like based on uh, your preferences or your imagination or your values, whatever it is, you're essentially creating your own God. You're, you're inventing your own version of God. When you invent your own version of God, you end up with something that looks a lot like you um, and agrees with a lot of the things you already think. The problem is that's just not how reality works. Like, we don't take this anywhere else in life, really. Like, when you go to the bank and the person at the bank tells you, like, here's your account, here's, here's the number on your balance, you can't just go, well, I would never believe in an account that looks like that. You know, it's much, much too low. I, the account that I believe in is at least three times bigger than that. Um, doesn't matter. Because the account is telling you what it is. The account's telling you what's in it and, and how you feel about it. it has no bearing on reality. God tells us who he is. He reveals himself to us. He tells us what he's like. And he says something so profound here. This is, like, there are books written on the name of God, and there's so, like, you can get so deep into this. Um, he says, I am who I am. That could also be translated, I will be what I will be. Uh, when you see Lord 
in the English translation, in all capitals, it's, it's translating the personal name of God, Yahweh, which he gives here, and which, I don't know why I have this problem. Whenever I put the verses in our program, it like uncapitalizes like the whole word, Lord, but like it's in there. So if you look in your own Bible, you'll see it, all capitals, the personal name of God, Yahweh. Um, he is the God who is. Here, here's where we get the transcendence of God so clearly. Um, so much we could get into, two things that I'll mention um, so we don't stay here all day. One, the name of God speaks to him being the basis for all of reality. I am who I am. The, God is the creator of the universe. He's the author of life. Everything that exists depends on him for its existence. He is the source. He is the living God who is the source of everything in existence. Like the basis for all of reality is a person, a living person, God. Two, the name of God speaks to his presence in the lives of the people who he's created. Uh, the, the good news of the Bible is, is God is what you need him to be. God is not everything that you want him to be necessarily. Like your feelings don't have any bearing on the reality of who God is. He's not everything you want him to be, but he is everything you need him to be. Who, who's the one who gives you life? God is. Who's the one who cares for you and provides for you? God is. God who, who created your parents, the God who created your friends, the God who gifted you and, and gave you your opportunities and the, the God who sends the, his reins on the earth to grow our food and he's everything that we need him to be. Who's the one who forgives you? Offers you salvation, offers you the hope of eternal life. God is. I am who I am. I will be what I will be. The Gospel of John, chapter 8. Jesus gets to a point in his ministry when he's revealing more about himself. He's revealing more about his identity and about his mission. Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Anyone who thinks they're smart and, is, and goes to you and goes, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. Um, John 8, 58, when Jesus says this to the Jewish people, they pick up rocks to stone him because he's committing blasphemy. Because they know the name of God. They know God is, I am who I am. I will be what I will be. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. He's saying, I am God. I am the creator. I am the basis for all of reality. And here he is, present in the lives of the people that he's created. And through his life and through his ministry and what it leads to, he's becoming everything we need him to be for our salvation. He is the God who is. He's the living God. He is the God who is the source. He's the God who's present. Moses' encounter with God continues 
at the burning bush, and we'll just look at it briefly. The, the rest of chapter three, um, God, God starts to give Moses uh, a mission. It says this in verse 16, he says, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, should be capital, the, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all of the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. God is laying the plan out for Moses. We get a lot of foreshadowing exactly the things that are going to happen that we'll see in the coming weeks and months. Um, Moses, you're going to be a big part of this plan, God's saying. And, uh, and, and as we'll see next week, Moses is not very excited about that. Um, he's, he's already objected once, and the objection he gives is like a very reasonable one, uh, where he said, you know, who am I to go and free Israel from Egypt and lead them out? Like, uh, the, the le- so last week we saw Moses try to do exactly that all on his own, and he failed at it. God's teaching him a lesson in humility, and Moses learns it. He learns it very well. It was a good response. Who am I to go and do that? Like, I sh- like he's not like, okay, God, you said so. I'm gonna go do it, and like, before God even finishes talking, like, runs up. He's not like that anymore, but now he needs to learn something new. This is gonna be a big part of Exodus 4, where we look at next week, um, where he has not only no confidence in himself, but he doesn't really have confidence in God that God could do things through him, um, and, and God needs to correct him on that. Uh, it's, it's not about Moses. It's not about what Moses is able to do. What Moses needs to understand is not how great he is and how wonderful God's made him to be so he can go and do all these things. What Moses needs to understand is who God is. You see that? He asks, who am I to go do this? And God's first response to him is, don't, don't even look at yourself. Here's who I am. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go with you. Trust me. God reveals himself here in the burning bush, a fire that burns but does not consume the bush. The, uh, the, the Hebrew, the, the rabbis and the scholars, even from ancient times, they understood this to be a symbol. The, the bush is a symbol for God's people. And, and the fire is a symbol for God's presence, that the living God dwells among his people like a fire, but doesn't destroy them. Rather, he, he, they are, they're filled with this fire, and, and they get to live in the presence of God, this transcendent God who dwells among them, um, which is actually exactly what we see in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 2, after Jesus' death 
in resurrection, and then 40 days later, he ascends into heaven, and the the disciples are are waiting because Jesus says, I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit, and we see this in Acts chapter two, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Just like at the burning bush, God's people, they're touched by this flame, but it doesn't burn them, it doesn't destroy them, it fills them and actually seems to spark this new kind of life. This is the experience for God's people. God is is transcendent and he's imminent. He's the flame who comes to live in you, something that you think, "I, I shouldn't get near, I can't touch but he comes to make his home in you, in your heart. God is the same yesterday and today and forever. He reveals himself to be transcendent and imminent. He's beyond our ability to fully comprehend, and we shouldn't be able to approach him, but he extends himself to us first, and he prepares good things for us. He's prepared forgiveness for you. He's prepared freedom. He's prepared peace and joy and the hope of eternal life. Jesus is worth it. He is worth, he's he's worth exploring. He's worth understanding who he really is. Not what you want him to be, but looking in God's word and understanding who God is and who Jesus is He's worth exploring, he's worth trusting, and he's worth following. Might not be all the things that you want him to be, but he is everything that you need him to be. I am who I am, I will be what I will be. What we're gonna do now as a church is uh, we're gonna take communion, and so, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray and the band's gonna come up and they're gonna start playing and while they're playing, uh, some people are gonna be handing out communion trays and um, communion is something that Christians do. If you're visiting today, you're not a Christian, you can just let it pass by you. If, if you are a Christian or even if you wanna make a decision today, you've, you've had an encounter with God today, you see how he's extended himself to you. Um, you, you wanna trust him, you wanna be changed by him. Uh, you can today take communion with us maybe as your first act as a Christian. Uh, Communion is the way that Jesus gives us to remember the price that he paid, how great the sacrifice of his love for us really is, that his body was broken for us on the cross, his blood was shed so that we could be healed, forgiven, and made whole. Um, They're gonna pass those out. The band's gonna be playing. When you get it, just hang on to it. When everyone has it, I'm gonna come back up and I'm gonna lead us through taking it together and then, uh, and then we'll all stand and, and respond with more singing. So um, let me pray for us. God, thank you.